as you stand in body or spirit, let's come before God's word, quite likely as Jesus and the disciples would have, reciting what they called in Hebrew the Shema, which of course Jesus made the basis for the great commandment. Will you follow after me in Hebrew and we'll join together in English? Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. As I mentioned in the announcements, we're spending uh, five weeks talking about some very basic values we had. Two weeks ago, we said, we are beloved. Last Sunday, we said, we have a story. And we continue with, we have a responsibility. And the passage we're using is a well-known passage from the prophet Micah. The last three verses are well-known, but we'll go back to chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusations. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? That, how have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up from Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gogal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. What does God want from us? Really, what does God want? That's an interesting and important question for the Bible. And one of the answers can be found in the Old Testament where there are 613 different commands that God gives the people. 350 of them are the you shall not, uh, and the rest are stated more positively. Well, that's a lot to remember. And if you ever had the experience way back in school like I did, sometimes you had a difficult novel to read or a long book, and so you went to the store and found the cliff notes. Or uh, my children in their uh, generation went to the store and found the spark notes and, and looked for the summary. Well, God is kind enough in the Bible to give the summary. First, in the book of Exodus, through um, 10 summary statements, we call the Ten Commandments. God boils it down and says, here are the lines, stay between these and you'll probably be all right. In the Psalms, uh, there is in Psalm 15, there are uh, five couplets, there are 11 statements, but five are couplets, they're parallel, and then a sixth one, where God boils it down to six. Who can come before God? Who can stand in God's presence? And the psalmist gives six things. Um, uh, Those who are blameless and and walk before God righteously, which is two things, but it's really one. Uh, Those who are honest and they they don't bear false witness against a neighbor. Two things, but they're really one. So it gets down to about six. Uh, Now, the Older Testament has uh, typically been divided into three parts. The first five books of the Bible called the Torah, Uh, then uh, the uh, books of the prophets, 
and then the, uh, the rest of the books called the writings. And so what's interesting is in the, in the Torah, God says, here's 10 ways to, to I'm going to summarize for you. And then in the writings in the Psalm, in Psalm 15, God says, well, here's six ways I'm going to sum it. And then God cuts it again in half in the prophets through Micah. And Micah says, well, I can get it down to three for you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And so God does us a favor to sum up really all biblical religion for Judaism and Christianity in terms of what God asks for in these three statements. So I thought it might be good for us to be attentive to those three statements, but first let's look at the setting. The setting is this, about 700 or so years before Jesus, the northern kingdom of Israel continues to sin after sin. They make mistake after mistake. They mistreat the poor. They take advantage of strangers, orphans, and widows, and and things go downhill. Finally, the Assyrians move in, and the Assyrians are a war and terror machine, and they go uh, just uh, burning their way, almost like Sherman to the sea, and uh, and conquer uh, Israel. And so in the midst of this, uh, one of the prophets, uh, Micah, gets a sense that people want to like, put God on trial for this. And so in chapter 6, God sort of turns the tables and says, look, what have I done to you? Didn't I do these things for you? And God lists some of the things that God has done for them. And interestingly, the people get moved. And so they want to respond and they say, well, what, what shall we do then? And they say, well, maybe we'll, we'll bring, uh, we'll bring calf, a calf as a sacrifice. That's pretty expensive. We'll bring 1,000 rams, even more expensive. We'll bring 10,000 rivers of oil, really expensive. Or maybe God wants us to sacrifice our firstborn child on the altar before God. There were people in the Old Testament, there were kings, two of them, who did this. And, And it's like Micah says, no, you're not paying attention. It's none of that. God's already shown you what God wants. These three And so what I want to do for a moment this morning is with you, take a look at what God was trying to show the people. But I'm going to do it in reverse order, and I hope you'll understand why when we're finished, it'll make more sense. Let's start with, God says, walk humbly. Walk is a very important word. In fact, the the Jewish word for their law codes about what you do and don't do is taken from the verb to walk. In other words, our faith is just not what we believe or hold in our mind. Uh, Believe me, people believed in God or they wouldn't have said, God, what do you want? Do you want rams? Do you want a calf? They believed. The question isn't what you believe. It's what are you going to do with that belief? As one uh, commentator put it some years ago, Christianity is not so much a leap of thought as a leap of action. It is a leap of faith. It is the way we act. And so uh, to say to walk humbly before God reminds us that it's about what we do. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21 about a guy that had two sons. And the guy said to the older, to the first son, I want you to go out and work in the fields. And then the other one said, nah, not today. I don't want to do it. And then the second one said, I will. But the one that said no ended up doing it. And the one that said, I will, never did. And Jesus said the question, which one did what the father wanted? The emphasis isn't on what you say, on what you believe. The emphasis is on what you do. And for five centuries, in the, early, uh, in the early churches, the emphasis wasn't on believing in Jesus, but what do you do with that belief? And they believed it would take years to turn a person into a Christian disciple who would know how to act. And they had very extensive ways of, of, of training people to live the Christian faith in a pagan world. The emphasis was on what do you do? 
you walk. And how do you walk? Humbly. Now, interestingly, some people translate humbly here as circumspectly, like, you know, you, you, when you walk, you better remember you're not God. But I think that also fits into the other translation. Humility recognizes that I'm not God. God is. But humility also recognizes that I'm not really better than other people. There's an old Jewish saying that goes like this, what makes you think your blood is redder than the next person's? I mean, we're all the same. No one is better than the other. There, you're probably familiar in the Bible, the ruling people of, of uh, Jerusalem in Jesus' day was a group of 70 leaders called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin would try to teach by question and answer. And one of their question and answers was this, who's destined for the world to come? In other words, who's going to heaven? And the answer was the person who is humble. There is a place for humility for recognizing that we're not God, and so we're going to take direction from God. And so if we're going to take direction from God, that leads us to the next question, well, where's God going to direct us? Where's God going to lead us? And that first answer is God's going to lead us to do acts of loving kindness or mercy. The emphasis here is a word that shows up a lot, and it's often used of God, the way God loves people in a merciful way. And so basically, it's like, I want you to be kind to people the way I'm kind to people, is what God is saying. And I want you to love doing it. Love kindness, it says. Do justice, I mean, to walk humbly, but love kindness. Um, Anne Frank, in her diary in 1944, uh, writes this and says, what a lo- how lovely a thought it is to me that at any moment we can make the world better. We can all do something kind for another person. We can all find something we can give to other people. I've begun, uh, after researching this a couple weeks ago, now when I close my day uh, uh, in the evening, one of the things I ask myself is, what kind things did I do for other people today? And if I go through a day and realize I haven't done at least one kind thing, one merciful thing, then I know it is, it's been a wasted day. It hasn't been a good day. Because God says, don't just do kind things, but love it. So you just, you, not only doing them, you're doing them over and over, even maybe over and over for the same person. Sometimes we do that. Uh, I read one person say this week, uh, all of us need more love than we deserve. You know, so in a sense, uh, in ways that are appropriate and not, you know, feeding uh, our codependent nature or feeding someone else's uh, dependent nature, but putting those decisions aside, generally we don't say to a family member, well, I've done three favors for you. We're done here. You know, I fed you and got you through kindergarten or I got you through elementary school. So we're done here. We, we know that we're family and we continue to try to pour out the kindness one of the things I love about this congregation is when someone um, uh, dies, people rally around the family with kindness. When someone is ill, they rally around the family with kindness. When there's a problem in our community or someone has uh, a tragedy, they rally around with kindness. When Hurricane Harvey hits the coast, uh, we send a truck, a plane, and supplies from this church. We rally with kindness. And that's part of why God says that's what I want you to do. But God doesn't stop there. God says to Walk humbly, working backwards, to love mercy, and then to do justice. Now, justice is um, a word that often comes up in the prophets, especially Amos and, and Micah will talk about it a lot. And the sense of justice is, and I, I, is not, I want you to, to keep the law. You know, we hear a lot about, well, we're a society of laws. Yes, we are. Wonderful. But that doesn't make us biblical. Biblical is not, justice is not a matter of keeping the laws. 
Uh, justice is a matter of, if kindness is helping people in times of need, justice is how do you organize society? How do you organize things where people don't fall into need quite so easily? How do people get a chance to live the life that God has for them? And so sometimes that is strictly by the law, but sometimes it, uh, doing uh, justice involves uh, uh, almost going beyond or going in different ways. Um, there's a famous law professor, you may have seen him on TV, Alan Dershowitz. Some years ago, he's lecturing to Harvard Law School, talking about his family, and he said, I remember the day my grandfather, uh, also Jewish, uh, called me in and said, I need you to know that we are not the blameless family you think we are. And he thought, well, I had a great family. What are you talking about? He said, I had to tell you, in 1939 and 1940, he said, I went around and started making up synagogues all over New York. He said, I found an empty storefront, and I called it a synagogue. He said, I found somebody's basement, and I put the address down and called it a synagogue. He said, I've started uh, numerous synagogues. And he said, that really weren't synagogues. And he said, and I brought over from Germany and Poland rabbis who really weren't ordained cantors who really couldn't sing, and secretaries for the synagogue who couldn't type a word. And of course, what he was saying was, he went around the law to try to create a situation where he could get as many Jewish families out and to America. And the only way he could, in a sense, do that was to make up things that weren't there. Sometimes justice is not just about dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but How do we go beyond to help people? So we create a situation uh, that um, creates a a better situation for people in need. The problem with uh, Israel, Micah says, is not that they don't worship properly. The problem with Israel is they don't act right. They're not kind to people in need, and they don't even think about how they could do things better to have fewer people fall uh, uh, into this area and place of need. Reminds me of an old story you may have heard before. Some of you probably flown in and out of LaGuardia Airport. So you know it's named after the mayor for many years of New York City, Fio Aurelio LaGuardia. But before that, as an official, one day he was um, overseeing police court. Uh, we might, a municipal court in a sense. And, and a guy was brought before him who had stolen a loaf of bread. And so he asked the guy, and the guy admitted he did it. He said, my family didn't have any food, I did it. And so uh, LaGuardia, as the judge in the case, said, well, I have, I have no uh, recourse but to find you guilty and to find you, and he fined a sum. But then he looked up to everyone in the courtroom, and he said, and I'm fining each of you $10 for living in a city where a man has to steal bread to feed his family. And everybody put $10, paid the poor man's fine, gave him $470 extra that fed his family for a few months. It's not just about doing what's legal. It's about doing what's right. Because in a sense, we all stand in the courtroom of God. And I believe God makes God's case and then looks at us with one final question. And the question isn't so much, what do you believe? The question is, what are you going to do? And our answer reveals our faith.